everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can learn more about Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about the PNWA, go to pnwa.org. Well, you know, this is one of my favorite people to interview, Andre Dubuse. I've, I think this is like the fifth or sixth time. Tell me he's got a new book out. I talked to him. I can't help it. I got to do it. And he's got a new book out. And we just had a great conversation about just about writing and how it relates to life. I get all excited when I talk to Andre, and this was no different. If you're not familiar, uh, his books include the New York Times bestsellers House of Sand and Fog, The Garden of Last Days, and his memoir, Townie. Uh, and his novel, Gone So Long, received starred reviews from Publishers Weekly and Library Journal and has been named to many best books lists. He's got a new book out, and it's a good one called Such Kindness. Uh, I think you're going to like that. Uh, he's been a finalist for the National Book Award and has been awarded a Guggenheim Fellowship, the National Magazine Award for Fiction, two Pushcart Prizes, and is a recipient of an American Academy of Arts and Letters Award in Literature. Yeah. Good guy. Good conversation. What can I say? I liked it. I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy! Oh, this is a good day. I've got Andre Jabuse the third, back on the show. And Andre, I was thinking about it. I think I've done a lot of interviews, and I think I've interviewed you more than anyone now. I think you have the record. I think you're it, buddy. Wow, am I honored. Jeez. (laughs) I think you might be. And that habit and a broken record and all those cliches. That's right. Well, I, I... it, you know, you got to have a new book out, which he does. Here it is, boys and girls, for those of you watching. Such kindness. Such a beautiful book. Drops, not as we're talking, but as people are listening today. Um, <laughs> I interviewed you for Dirty Love. And you said, when I finish a book, mm. I always feel like, and I kind of offer to the world, you said, I always kind of feel like, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this is the bet. Do you still feel like that, Andre? I do. I I certainly do. But it's not just sorry. It's also with a healthy dollop of black doubt and horrific <laughs> self-loathing. Really? Other Come on. That, oh, please. Please. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I, I I here's my working theory if I were to be a therapist on myself. Okay. Um you know, such kindness, as you know, is from the point of view of a man named Tom Lowe. And I think uh, I think a lot of his um, situation is a fear of mine. Yeah. And um, I, I'm not sure. I do know that I, I try to go as deeply as possible into characters and I try to write as well as I can. And I really do. I, I, I do feel that I a better always I always I always feel like a better writer would have written a better book than I did just now. But I, but it's the best I can do. I do know all those sports cliches are true. I leave the fight in the ring and the run on yeah. the road. I mean, I revise 123 times, and 
So when I let it go, I've let it go, but the feelings are never good. The feelings are quite negative. Really? God, that is so. No, I'm not. And, 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 but I stand by the book. I, I, sure. I, but I still feel like shit. So there you have it. <laughs> there must well, be. Actually, can I speak to that for a second? Please. I, I found myself talking about this at writers' conferences, especially when I teach fellow adults, you know, in their yeah. 40s, 50s, 60s, yeah. 70s, 80s. And that is, um, I, th- and I don't think we talk about this enough. I think that maybe, maybe we writers are asking too much of writing. That maybe sometimes we ask, because it's our time, you know, we're, yeah. we've, we wear all those adult hats and now it's my time in my room with my imagination. And, and I think that sometimes the subliminal message we send ourselves is, and therefore it should make me feel good, like a massage. But the truth <laughs> is, if you're writing as honestly and nakedly as I try to write, you walk around feeling raw, vaguely nasty, inappropriate, ignorant, wrong, and like a failure. And so when I walk around feeling like that, maybe I wrote better than I think. But I think it's a mistake to try to ask writing to make you feel better. So when a book comes out, I do feel all those horribly negative feelings, but also deep gratitude. It, it's a it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing to have a book come out. But and a lot of beautiful writers don't get it. So, I, but I'm going to push back a little on that, just a little bit, Andre. In that, only in that, I, if we're, for me, when I'm in, when I'm down the rabbit hole, when I'm really down the rabbit hole, I go, I say it's as good as it gets. I'm not saying, in terms of how I feel at that moment, when the, when, when what, it's what Martha Beck said, she, the walls drop away, you lose track of time, you know that experience, right? Where you? Yeah, thank you for pushing back on me about that because that part of it, you know, Hemingway called it the sweet labor. I mean, I love the daily sweet labor of writing. I mean, even those days where you know you're going to cut it the next day and you don't feel that good at writing, it's a better day than when I didn't write. And so, always, you're 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 right. I love writing. It, It. I guess what I'm getting at, and again, there's nothing but gratitude about being able to publish books. But what what's it's the daily writing that I love more than when a book comes out. Yeah. I'm grateful yeah. that a book comes out, but I'm full of weird feelings. <laughs> that is totally legitimate and totally yeah. honest and must be the hardest thing for your students, particularly your adult students to hear. Cause a lot of them at those conferences, and I know, cause I, I teach at them yeah. and I was one of them too, thought yeah. all my problems will be solved. <laughs> all my questions will be answered. When I have yeah, that yeah. book on the shelf, right? It, yeah, they it, also give you a look like they also give you a look like, oh, shut up, right? right. <laughs> With all your books, screw you. Good problem to have. Yeah, it is. It's a wonderful first world problem to have. It is, but it's the truth. Though. But it's the truth, Andre. Actually, it's the truth because it's part of the reason I have this. I continue to have these conversations because I think that you know one of those books back there is mine, and it's about writing. It's about the central thing a writer has to do. I think is forget about the reader in this one particular way that you can't, that you're writing for, you want an audience, but you can't think about the audience. You want to be liked, but you can't write to be liked. Like there, there is that. And when you publish, that is the time you are most likely to start wondering what people think of your stuff. I don't see how, right. Profoundly. I think that's wonderfully accurate, Bill. And I, you know, Hemingway once again said, writing is easy until you think of the reader at one point. We have to, especially in the revision process, ask ourselves the hard questions. Does the reader need to be dragged through these scenes? Does the reader, you know, my, my right. beautiful friend, Elizabeth Strout, one of my favorite living American writers says, sometimes she'll, she'll give the reader a, a landscape to give the reader a break. Just 
Time for some trees. There's <laughs> that, but I'm also with you. Ultimately, in a macroscopic way, we better not be writing for the reader. We better not be writing for ourselves. And for me, I mean, what it really is about, you know, Blaise Pascal said famously, anything written for the author is worthless. Sounds kind of harsh, but it's not about us. It's about these sacred beings called characters. I think that's our pr primary, primary and premier duty to bring them as fully and honestly to life on the page as we can. All right. So talk to me about the distinction between them. One of the things I tell my reader, my students is, that they are writing for themselves in that they are trying to satisfy their own interest, their own curiosity, the thing that excites them, that moves them, that feels genuine, you know, because some of them are writing poetry, some are writing essays, some are writing, they're all writing different things. But talk to me about the difference between being for you, what that feels like, and when you give over and surrender to the character, to the story. Well, You've probably one. done both. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, I don't know a damn thing about rocket ships, but it's like that two-tier... <laughs> You get it in, you get it in the air, and then an engine falls off, and it keeps going. For for me, what gets a, a story in the air is, and I've and I've learned to really trust this over the years, is is just trust what I'm curious about. Yeah, trust yeah. the human situation that is nagging at me, and 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 follow it, and and follow it with what? Follow it with curiosity, yeah. and, and when I with authentic curiosity, and when I do that, um. Most times it feels like I'm onto something solid for me, which yeah. is uh, the writing creates more writing. And, and then the characters begin to reveal themselves. But especially if you're writing, you know, Rumi said beautifully, sell your cleverness and purchase bewilderment. Ah, Isn't that beautiful? I haven't heard that one. Isn't that great? Oh, Stick that's beautiful. Stick with me, kid. Sell <laughs> your cleverness and purchase bewilderment. And so if... If I'm writing with authentic bewilderment, even if, if it's at a small level, like, you know, what would a lawyer in New York in 1943 have for lunch in a diner? Right. That's enough to go to the next moment, to the next. And then th that beautiful, gorgeous process you describe about going down the rabbit hole where you forget yourself, the yeah. characters. It's like, you know, what was seeing our first child's heartbeat in the sonogram. You, all of a sudden there's a heartbeat in the tissue yeah. and, and it's a beautiful moment. Ah, beautiful is right. I, I have this theory, which is that a story, whatever it is, whether it's an essay or memoir, whatever it is, a story, a poem is a story to me. It's all a story, right? It arrives in service to me. In other words, I have a desire, a creative desire, so it shows up. Hey, look at that. Think about this. But as soon as the story shows up, I have to serve it. So it comes to serve me, right. my desire, my life. But then in order to fulfill that, I have to serve it. Shut up, sit down, trust me, follow me. Now you just follow me and you'll be happy. Or, like, Some, or something can, resembling happy. Can I address that as well yeah. in, terms, in terms of writing practice, right? Uh, I mean, most, most writers don't make a living at this thing full time. Right. Most have right. jobs, they yeah. might be blessed with family, they might be blessed with a mortgage. I mean, it's a good problem to have. They have yeah. all these commitments. And they literally have to beg, borrow, steal, control the hell out of their lives to get their 48 minutes of writing all along right. with nobody knocking on the door. Right. So, so then what do you do? So now you've controlled the hell out of your day. <laughs> right. To get it, and then you have to surrender and let go of the wheel. That's right. And it's like driving down the highway at 65 and then putting it in reverse. And That's I think right. so many writers need, you know, a few minutes just, okay, now I'm not in control. And it, I think it's a very interesting dichotomy. Oh, totally. In fact, I have become evangelical about this because my clients, my students are adults. They're all adults. 
And that means they've led adult lives and they've had to do things they maybe didn't want to do, work jobs, or been in relation, all those stuff, right? Yep. And they have, to, I would talk about the most important moment, the part I think I learned really how to be a writer was when I took the transition from what I call my domestic frame of mind, the, the way I operate in the world, interacting with the interacting to the writing frame of mind where there is nothing to interact with but the interior. And most writers that I see struggling to write don't take the transition seriously, understand a transition is necessary. And I love what you added because then there's the issue of control. You've yeah. got to give it up. You've got to give up what you think is control. And it's, you know, it's not easy. We've talked about this. I talk about uh, in my teaching, I talk of, and I reflect on um, William Stafford, the, the late poet, has this wonderful essay where he says that the poet before writing must put herself into a state of openness or receptivity. And then he defined receptivity in two ways. He said, you know, you're being receptive when you're willing to accept anything that comes. Yep. And two, when you're willing to fail. So Talk what, about that. Talk about the failure part, because that's the big bugaboo for a lot of writers. Failure, failure, failure. Yeah, especially when you're, you know, 68 and you've done your time as a, <laughs> a wife and mother or a husband and father. Right, right, right. Whatever, paid the kids to college tuitions. And now it's your time before you're dead to write your book or books. Yeah. And so there's understandable human pressure to get it done before you die. It, it's beautiful and real. And I don't take it lightly. But I've I've had a lot of uh, adult students over the years, Bill, who because of that have one eye on the mirror, the publishing mirror, too soon. Yeah. And, and and the editor is is alive and well too soon. Yeah. And they're not allowing themselves to free fall into their psyche into their story. And so, um, I you know I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say so. Such kindness is is my eighth book. I've got a ninth coming out. That sounds great, but I've been writing for forty years. <laughs> it's like a book every five years get busy and, yeah but i also um i've written books no one's going to see and i think that the overwhelming majority of whatever i put in the world in terms of writing are the phoenixes that rose from the ashes of what failed and, and it, it's not just what failed but from the ashes of what i wanted to write about but didn't want to be written about by me or on and on and I just don't think it's possible to to be a, a creative artist of any kind in any form without just letting go of uh, failure. I mean, it, and Americans are really hard at it. I mean, we're yes. hardwired with this thought that, well, well, what are you supposed to do with your life? Well, you're supposed to be happy. Well, what do you do to be happy? Where are you supposed to be a success? It's frigging bullshit. <laughs> what you're supposed to be is your authentic self. That's and right. The joy comes in. That's where, you know, and of course, the stakes are higher if you're on your authentic road and and failing hurts more. But it's also the successes, the triumphs. And I don't mean material. I mean, on the on the desk are sweeter. Oh, totally. And I think and at failure, I've come to understand failure as simply and I've lived a lot with it. My father had a huge relationship to it. And I've come to understand it as simply the end and i think writers fail all the time and know how to deal with it whenever you write a sentence that didn't bring forth that that sentence that idea wasn't actually a part of the dream of the book so you yeah. get rid of it was just an idea but i've seen whole careers that were an idea that you failed at but it wasn't actually the way the dream of fulfillment thriving was to come to yeah, be and, and, and exactly and that's what faulkner meant by murdering your darlings he said that's right be any page or paragraph 
that is false, no matter how much you might love that page or paragraph. And, and, what, and what did he go on to say? What's the exact line? Whatever it is, he just said, you've got to be merciless about the truth. Yeah. And, and it, it might be the most beautiful writing you've done in 10 years. And you feel like a writer for the first time in 10 years. <laughs> but so what? Tough shit. It's not about us. No. So you got it. But you're right. The daily act of writing is is acknowledging the false notes or acknowledging the overblown or acknowledging where you're showing off and yeah. shaking it away. Yeah. But, but again, so let's talk about ego. Yeah. Because it seems to me uh, it takes a strong ego to get to the desk, all that controlling and thinking, okay, maybe I've got something worth finding on the page and maybe right. even worth sharing with an audience later, which is death to think about that too soon. Well, but then once you get there, you've got to let go of the ego and you have to become egoless. You know, D.H. Lawrence said beautifully, uh, it is not I who writes, but the wind that blows through me. Yeah. Ah, yeah. There's a quick, what was another quote I heard Eckhart Tolle talk about? I'm not the flute, but the air that goes through the flute. That that's who I actually am. It's the same. And that's how I feel. When you're speaking in public, I know you like that. I do enjoy when I've had the chance to see you, but I love doing it as well. And I've always said that when I'm doing it well, I feel transparent. In other words, if there's any awareness of me while I'm talking, it can go sideways in a hurry. But if I kind of go transparent, and that's how I feel when I write also. That's right. That's, yeah? that's exactly right. Yeah, the ego. Oh, and the, and, the, and the writing is like a minefield for the ego because what people say about it and do they like it? And in fact, I think it, I don't know when it was, but you said, I don't know if you still hold to this, but you're not reading reviews anymore. Are you still not no, reading? No, I never do. No, I never do. And I, 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 I have never Googled my name and I won't. Did, <laughs> did I just tell a lie? I may have. No, I don't think I have. I, I, and, and look, I, I have to share an image with you from George Garrett from his biography on James Jones. Okay. So Garrett talks about James Jones writing from here to eternity while serving in the U.S. Army during the South Pacific, during World War II. And of course, he got up at four in the morning and tried to write it before, you know, KP duty or going right. off. Control. And um, of course, he hid the fact that he was a creative writer from his from his uh, army buddies. Why did he hide it? Because he thought they would think he's. They would accuse him of being a homosexual. And so he That's hid what it. I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> he hid it. He had to hide the fact that he was a sensitive artist with words, blah, blah, blah. But here's the image. And and, and you know, to some degree, thank God our culture has gotten a lot better yeah. than yeah. homophobia. But we still live in a hard capitalistic culture that does not support uh, creative writing until you, you've had some success in the world. So here's the image from Garrett. James Jones learned to hold his talent inside of him like warm water between two cupped hands. <laughs> That's nice. That's that nice. That's and I nice. It because you know, you know, you read a really good review and you just feel like you had too much coffee. You yeah. read a bad review, it hurts your feelings for a hundred years, and so, and it's too late to fix the book because they might be right. Well, that's a flaw, but it's out, uh, you know. And so I just avoid it, and I try to, I try to try to protect whatever abilities I have, like warm water between two cup teams. I have a theory also, which is that we actually, none of us, not one of us, Andre, actually cares what anyone thinks of our stuff. Because when it's going well, and you're actually discovering something, and it feels alive, and you feel like, thank you, this was, thank God I do this. You never, ever wonder what anyone thinks about it. That is the, and if you do, the writing ends. 
immediately. So it, I, and, and, oh, I'm feeling, and you can't stop being interested in what you're interested in just because someone told you they're not interested in it. Exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I've I don't think we actually your, care. I've missed your passionate company, company Bill. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. So let's talk about that. So let's, yeah. talk, about, let's talk about being the writer on one hand and the author on the other. Yeah. One of the shadow sides of writers conferences, MFA programs, et cetera, is that it can make you a little too self-conscious about career and wanting to be an author. And I'm pleased. I am all for everybody publishing their books. But I, you got to let go of that in the room. And so what you described is, what's the antidote? Forget about forget about the New York Times and Scribner's and Oprah <laughs> or what have you or Hollywood. Just think about those sentences every day, serving the characters every day. You know, I, I think if we just make, uh, okay, a friend of mine who's a beautiful writer who people haven't read enough. I'm not going to name him because of what right. I, I'm going to share with you. But he's an underread master short story writer from the South. And years ago, I had read one of his stories and I was so moved by it. And I said, man, I just, I can't, you must have, you must have just sold everything you've ever written. He said, no, I've gotten more rejections. And he talked about how he couldn't sell his book, talked about how he's had a dry spell for about 15 years, wow. not writing, but the world publishing his work. Wow. And then he said this to me, he said, but I decided a long time ago, and, and he was probably in his fifties when he told me this, and now he's in his eighties. He said, I decided a long time ago that writing every day, trying to write as well as I can, is a noble way to live a life. And he used the word noble. <laughs> and I never forgot. I was in my 20s. I'd only published wow. one story at that time. And I remember, I'll never forget him or what he said. And, and I still read his work because he's still writing beautifully. But um, isn't that great? And so and so, if you put your, your, your mind as a writer just on the daily practice, you know, one day you look back three, in my case, three, four, five years later, and there's a book. Right. But just make it a daily practice and then let go of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to let fucking phone stop ringing. Okay, I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> well, you can swear. I'm going to swear now. I will. You've been swearing, but that's okay. I would, I would expect nothing less. Actually, you know what? Speaking of phones, I have a yeah. friend who calls. Oh, I hit the phone. Never mind. We're right, good. Good. Good man. Well, oh, man. I, you know, I was just, I, I, I could talk to you for a long time. I was talking to um, Paul Harding, who wrote Great. Tinkers, right? But I, it was yeah. funny. It was kind of a full circle moment because I had not, I was not familiar with him when he published. Uh, I, I didn't even know he'd won the Pulitzer because I wasn't keeping up with these things. But I remember he, you. He, he didn't know he'd won the Pulitzer. Oh, I know. I know that. We talked, he talked all about that. Yeah. And I thought of him because of you when I was interviewing because you were the first one who mentioned him to me and you were talking about tinkers and, and now he has this new book out and yeah, he, that's a great story. People watch the interview. It's a, it's a bizarre story, yeah. but he and I in the conversation talked about the thing he kept so focusing on was have never having a presumption for anything that he writes, not even the next sentence, never presume anything. And I loved that take that's on a, it. That's a great way to put it. I love never that. presume. Never, yeah, or, or I would throw in or assume, yeah, <laughs> any of those. Oh, it's good, it's or hard way to live, it. but it's it, it seems like a hard way to live. But writing, Andre, has taught me to live like nothing, no other practice that I've had in my life. I gotta say, taught me what to live you, the way I want to live. What do you think it's done for you? Because I, 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 it's taught me to say. The way I know it's going well is how I feel. In other words, it feels 
natural and effortless when I'm landing as opposed to forcing. Whenever I'm forcing, it doesn't feel right. Whenever I'm trying to make myself write something I don't really want to write, it doesn't feel right. And writing has trained me to pay attention to how I feel more than anything else. And nothing has served as a better guide for my entire life than caring every moment how I actually feel and reacting to it and responding to it and, re and understanding too the relationship between my thoughts and my emotional life. And the two are intertwined. Because writing is a kind of, I know it's not really thinking, but it's dealing with thought deliberately. It's dealing with your thoughts, saying not that thought, oh, that one, oh, that feels better. That's more interesting. That's more true. Which is much more about the dreamscape, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I love that you use the word moment. Um, Jim Harrison, you know, the late great yeah, Jim Harrison, yeah. who literally died mid stanza while writing at his desk. At Seriously? Mid stanza, died while writing with his boots on. Wow. You know, I've read most of his work. I, I, I adore Harrison's uh, novellas and his poetry, et cetera. Um, he said one of his poems, he's, and I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, the, the Zen Buddhist line, be here now. And in one of Harrison's poems, he said, yes, and I try to be now here. <laughs> oh, that's good. That if writing teaches you nothing, it teaches you to be now here. It's true. See, that was my last, usually my last question. A question I got from you, although you didn't mean it as a question, when you said one during one of our interviews, if writing's taught me anything, it's you said something. But I always ask my writers if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Does that feel like what it's taught you? Yeah, but I would also add something else, and, and that is, I think it's taught me, uh, well, I mean, it, it's related, to be more present with any human being in front of me. And um, so my curiosity, and maybe this happened, maybe this was already in me before I became a, a writer, but um, taught me to be, to empty myself when I'm talking to another human being. So, so sometimes I'll have a mantra in my head because, you know, you and I like to talk. Right. And so especially over the last few years, I've really tried to discipline myself to just really actively with <laughs> all my muscles listen. Yeah. And so someone will be telling me something and I'll just I'll have a little voice in my head say, just listen. <laughs> and I'll listen. And, and, and but writing got me there, because if I'm writing from the point of view of a character like Tom Lowe Jr. and such kindness, I'm just trying to be completely him in the moment. So yeah. why wouldn't I be that way across from someone at a dinner party table? And so it's helped me. Such kindness. There it is, people. Get it. You're going to love it. Andre, as always, this has been a lot of fun. Good luck with the book. Thank you, Bill. You're Try to man. enjoy it. Try to enjoy it. Okay, I will. I will. Thank you. I love that answer about listening because I, I always think writing is listening more than thinking. Listen, that's really my job. It's my job when I interview people. It's my job when I write. Hopefully I do it in my relationships. I try. I try. Okay, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Of course it was. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. And, uh, you know, as always, as always, listen. Listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Listen to your heart. It'll tell you what you like, what it needs. And when you hear it, 
you obey it and go find something you love to do and do it.